0: Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today in the studio I have joining me a Ph.D. historian with the Church History Department, Kate Holbrook. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Ben. And uh, joining us again is our friend, Sarah Iring. Hello again. Sarah has recently read Saints Volume 1 and will be sharing her thoughts and questions in our episode today. Thanks for being here, both of you. Kate, I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this episode because you are sort of the world's expert on some of the topics we're going to talk about today. Now, you don't, you're going to be too <laughs> humble to admit that, but I'm going to tell our listeners, we're so lucky to have Kate. She is one of the authors of The First 50 Years of Relief Society, uh, which is a book that was published by the Church Historians Press. It's a landmark publication. It's incredible, and it's actually available online if you're interested, churchhistorianspress.org. You can read the whole thing. We're lucky on this podcast to have Kate with us so that we can talk about some of these things today. So today we're going to talk about chapter 37. We will prove them, I thought to start off, maybe we just listen to a quote right out of the the gate here um, about plural marriage as it's happening in Nauvoo.
1: Like Joseph, the apostles at first resisted the new principle. Brigham felt such agony over the decision to marry another wife that he longed for an early grave. Heber Kimball, John Taylor, and Wilfred Woodruff wanted to delay obedience as long as possible. Following the Lord's command, Joseph had also been sealed to other women since his marriage to Louisa Beeman. When teaching a woman about plural marriage, he would instruct her to seek her own spiritual confirmation that being sealed to him was right. Not every woman accepted his invitation, but several did.
2: That's a really good introduction to what was going on in church history at this point regarding plural marriage. People were finding out more about it um, more members of the 12, were, Joseph was asking them to participate in this practice. He had taken on a number of plural wives, but it was still very quiet. People weren't talking about it openly. We know that Emma knew about some wives. We don't know how much she knew about what was going on. Another thing that this quotation really pulled out is how hard it was. It was hard for Joseph Smith initially to accept. And then as he would explain this to other people, it was really difficult for them. Culturally, this seemed foreign and it seemed wrong to them. And so they really had to have their own spiritual witnesses before they could accept it. And even after the spiritual witness, they dragged their feet before practicing.
0: We learn in this chapter about um, a woman by the name of Mary Leitner. Her story is really quite fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about who Mary Leitner is, what's her situation, and how does she react to Joseph's proposal of being sealed?
2: Mary Leitner's story is really important for helping us to understand a little bit more deeply what plural marriage was about. That it wasn't just a chance to be married to more than one woman and that marriage might mean different things. So Mary was married to a man named Adam and she loved him and uh, they were fully married building a life together, but Adam didn't want to join the church. And the saints' understanding at the time was that you could not achieve full salvation after this life unless you were sealed to another person in marriage for eternity. So Joseph Smith approached, and a a lot of people wanted to be sealed, men and women actually, to Joseph Smith because he was the prophet, he was the leader. Clearly he was a good person to hitch your wagon to (laughs) in this sense of salvation. And so Joseph Smith approached Mary and he said, Would you like to be sealed to me for eternity? But it wouldn't be a marriage for time. It would just be after this life. And she didn't like that idea, and she implored her husband, Adam, again, would you pray? Would you consider the church? And he said, Mary, I'm fine with your being a member of this church, but it doesn't strike me as true, and I'm not going to join. She tells Joseph Smith, I still, even with Adam's resistance, I still can't do this unless I've had a witness from God. I can't rely on your word alone for this. And she prays to see an angel. And an angel appears to her when, when night. She's staying at her aunt's house, and in the middle of the night, this angel with a very bright face puts, I don't know whether it was a male angel or a female <laughs> angel, puts its face right in front of her. And that sounds a little scary. It was very scary for her. She threw the covers over her head, and the angel right. went away. And so she still didn't count that as a witness, although she'd seen an angel. But within a few days, she had another spiritual witness, and she decided, I this actually is, God has revealed to me, this actually is what he wants me to do. So a sealing for eternity was performed between Joseph Smith and Mary Leitner.
0: Why Mary Leitner in this story? um, uh, Even in the quote we started the podcast off with today, it mentions Joseph had been sealed to others. Why did the authors and the, the writers, the historians that collaborated on this project Why choose Mary uh, instead of someone else?
2: It's startling to a lot of people that Mary was married, and Mary was not the only woman who was married to whom Joseph was sealed, but that feels counterintuitive. At the same time, it helps enrich our understanding of what these symbols symbolized. They were about creating an eternal, broad spiritual connection between people. They were about uniting people to the family of God. So this this wasn't just about, you know, setting up house and having children here on earth. This was really about the eternities and binding people together in enduring relationships that would bring them spiritual salvation.
0: It's a fascinating story. And I, for one, I'm on Mary's side. I'm going to throw the blanket over my head if an angel comes <laughs> to Me my too. house. I would be... Uh, probably terrified, but it's amazing that she does come to her answer and and is in fact sealed to Joseph. At this same time in the story, the the women in Nauvoo are busy; they are working hard, and they're about to do something that is pretty incredible. Can you tell us about the beginnings of what becomes Relief Society?
3: And actually, maybe before. Sorry, I don't want yes. to interrupt that, Please but do. I just had a thought on that previous topic. It's interesting to learn that Joseph asked these women to get spiritual confirmation of their own because that reminds me of the way that church leaders today, of course, you know, give us direction from Heavenly Father and and, and speak for Him but and for the Savior, but ask us to seek for our own confirmations as well and to feel peaceful for ourselves about the things that we've been commanded to do. And I'm grateful for that sort of mirroring in this narrative and see so much of that throughout the story of, of things that, yeah, are totally relatable to today's living.
2: And it means a lot to me, too, that that's been from the very beginning, that receive your own testimony, receive your own witness has been part of our doctrine. Yeah.
0: The women in Nauvoo are also uh, very busy at this time. They're, they're working hard. There's lots of construction going on, building homes and farms but they're also worried about people who are less fortunate, perhaps, in themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about a woman by the name of Margaret Cook?
2: Saints introduces this new organization we're about to meet uh, through the idea of Margaret Cook. And that's actually a thrill to me because we often have... In our history books, have just called her a seamstress instead of naming her and acknowledging that this was her idea. So I love I love that narrative choice to really emphasize her. Margaret Cook was working as a seamstress to uh, Sarah Kimball, who was a more well-to-do married woman in Nauvoo, and both of them were excited about the temple construction, and both of them wanted to help. And Margaret thought. Why don't we sew shirts for these men who are working on the temple? There was a division of labor in this society, and there weren't women out there, you know, sure. <laughs> actually constructing the walls of the temple. But she and Sarah had noticed that the men, a lot of them, were wearing very ragged clothing. And um, they thought, well, this could help. This could bring them a little comfort and maybe a little more protection in the work they're doing. So together they decided to form a sewing society. And this is something very familiar in American uh, society at this time. Women would get together, they would form a benevolent society, find some work that needed doing, and they would figure out how to do it. Sarah and Margaret asked Eliza R. Snow, who was a woman of letters, good with words, whether she would write up a constitution for this new organization. And Eliza R. Snow did. They had a little planning meeting, and then they took their constitution to Joseph Smith.
0: Let's listen to a little quote here from the book about uh, the constitution that uh, was penned by Eliza R. Snow.
1: Joseph said it was the best constitution of its kind. But this is not what you want, he said. Tell the sisters their offering is accepted of the Lord, and he has something better for them. He asked the society to meet with him in a few days at his store. I will organize the women under the priesthood after the pattern of the priesthood, Joseph said. I now have the key by which I can do it.
2: You know, Ben, every time we tell this story... People tend to say, they took the Constitution to him, they took the idea to him, and he said, I have something better in mind. This looks very nice, dear, but I have something better in mind. And I never liked that. (laughs) I, I always thought, oh, that's so condescending. I just hated that detail. And when I told the story myself, I would leave that detail out. Until working on the first 50 years of Relief Society, I really started to understand how much he had something better to give them. The difference between a benevolent society that was secular, you know, just people getting together to do a good deed, which is a good thing, and Joseph Smith organizing them after the pattern of the priesthood, making this a women's quorum making this the organization through which women could really come into their own and find concrete, spiritual, authoritative ways to participate in the building of the kingdom. That difference means everything. And now I never leave that detail out when I tell this story.
0: (laughs) And isn't there a quote, Kate, about the church never being fully organized. You'll know the quote. Tell us about that. Yeah,
2: that's uh, people remembering that Joseph Smith said the church was never fully organized until the women were also organized. And everything, this part of... So they organized Relief Society. In case we haven't been clear about that, that's what this wonderful... um, Started out as a sewing society becomes Relief Society. Uh, But Relief Society was for caring for the poor, it was for saving souls, and part of that was that it was a temple preparation organization. It was to prepare women, just as the School of the Prophets was helping to prepare men uh, to receive the full endowment, not the early version of the endowment that was in Kirtland, but the full endowment. And it's so important that that was for women as well as men. For its time... That was really different than what you were seeing in other religious organizations in, in the world and in the United States.
0: Let's listen to another little quote here from the book about this organization and Emma's role.
1: Joseph read the revelation he had received for Emma in 1830 and noted that she had been ordained or set apart at that time to expound scriptures and teach the women of the church. The Lord had called her an elect lady, Joseph explained, because she was chosen to preside. Kate, this
0: is a wonderful moment here where Emma is leading these women. They've elected her, in fact, to be the president. She's selected her counselors. I wonder if perhaps you can tell us about the word ordained. And the reason I'm asking is because I've read the introduction in First 50 Years of Relief Society, and I think the way that you and your collaborators wrote that better explained to me than anyone has ever explained to me, what did that word mean when it comes to Emma Smith.
2: One thing to keep in mind is that all of the words that we're used to, we're still used to in our church today, have now taken on particular meanings and we use them only in particular circumstances. Whereas at this period, they were used more flexibly. So ordain, it did mean they set her apart, but it's a little bit different than today we think of ordain just relating to priesthood ordination. And this was different than that. One of the things in this quotation that's really important is elect lady. That's something that's easy to just kind of read and let flow by you. But in this Doctrine and Covenants revelation where Joseph Smith ordained Emma to be an elect lady, that was an office in the church. And the significance of that is that while they're figuring out, they're continuing to figure out what offices look like for men in the church, there were also offices for women, there were also specific roles that women were to f- fill in the hierarchy. So that really matters. Elect lady doesn't just mean that people voted for her, it was the name of an office that she held in the church. And it's also important here she was chosen to preside. In the Nauvoo Relief Society minutes, which are also available in the first 50 years of Relief Society, they use on this day of the meeting, Joseph Smith uses the word preside very often for Emma and for her counselors as they're establishing a new Relief Society presidency for this new organization. Their word was law in this organization. They were the bosses. They were the decision makers. They were in charge. This was their
3: stewardship. So how did that sort of presiding and even ordination change over time?
2: Has it changed since Emma was first put in place? We came to use the word uh, ordain, as I mentioned, in different ways. So now when we have a Relief study General President on the general level or a local Relief Society President, we no longer say that we ordain them. Now we say set apart. And I think the word preside is something we're still figuring out. At times, you know, when Belle Spafford in the 1950s was Relief Society general president, she was overseeing the Relief Society magazine. She was overseeing a foster care program. She was overseeing an adoption program for the church. She was overseeing LDS social services. Wow. So it was easy to see how she was presiding. And today, I think we're still, especially right now is an exciting time and seeing how the first presidency has just in the last few months Restructured what things look like on the ward level and what responsibilities look like on the ward level, and in, they spell out what the bishop is in charge of. And then I'm thinking of a chart that is mm-hmm. on LDS.org. I've seen it. Yep. They have the Relief Society presidency and the Elders' Quorum presidency; these two circles, and then under them, these different things that they're uh, that they preside over, that they're in charge over, including the new ministering program. Interesting. It's an important thing to be watching right now, Sarah.
0: I'm glad you brought up the recent changes because the Relief Society president's role was reemphasized with the recent changes and the changes to the way ward councils function and even the meetings that are now required for Relief Society presidents, Elders Quorum presidents, and the bishop, not their counselors, just those three, are to meet discuss the ministering program of the church. I think it's just—it's fascinating to see how these roles develop, change, and and in this case, for me, it feels like a re-emphasis of the importance of the Relief Society president in the ward.
2: It looks like that to me too, Ben, and it looks like we're getting closer to that original vision that Joseph Smith articulated when he founded Relief Society. So in Saints, we learned that Joseph Smith
3: was meeting frequently with the Relief Society in the spring, and I want to know a little
2: bit more about that. Where do we get those sources, and what were they talking about? It sounds boring to say, read some minutes, but they're really not boring. <laughs> um, online, on the josephsmithpapers.org, or on the online version of First 50 Years of Relief Society, or on the page, if you, if you own the hard copy of that book, we have those Nauvoo Relief Society minutes in full. And Eliza R. Snow was the one who kept most of the minutes. And if you go online, you can see her handwriting and you can see a typescript, which is easier to read. But you can read this for yourself. There were six meetings that he uh, attended and he would listen and he would also preach. And the the vision he had and the things he preached are really inspiring. I think sometimes we think of Relief Society as just a a thing that's optional that we go or we don't go, we don't really have the vision of what membership in that organization can mean, what it can do to us as spiritual beings and how it can fill us and help us to really make the world a better place. And when you read some of the things that he prophesied about Relief Society and instructed to Relief Society. It really, I'm thinking... It's just, inspiring. It is. A woman yesterday told me that she had given up attending Relief Society and then she read those minutes and she wept and she told me this story. It just changed Everything for her, and she she went back to Relief Society. Now she's doing all of these wow. good deeds for refugees. You know, it really—that's what the difference was between the sewing society and being organized after the pattern of the priesthood.
3: And we mentioned, of course, that Joseph had something better for them, but if we know that it was the Lord that had something better, right? That the, the organization was the Lord's doing,
2: which is so cool, right? That's a great way to say it. Another really significant thing about the founding of Relief Society uh, can be seen in the quotation that, that we love, that we wrote down in the Nauvoo Minute book, where Joseph Smith says, I now turn the key to you by the power of God, and this society shall rejoice, and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time. I think there's so much in that sentence. One of the things is that it took a key to establish Relief Society, just like it took a key to establish priesthood, re-establish priesthood. Another thing is the first thing he says after that turning the key to you is, you shall rejoice. And a lot of those 19th century women, especially Emmeline Wells, believed that it was that turning of the key and establishing of Relief Society that made it possible for the world to start to heal from the effects of the fall. So uh, Emmeline Wells even thought that Seneca Falls, which the, an, a key moment in the early suffrage movement for women, was made possible because Relief Society had been founded before that. Wow. This was the, a change. From now on, things will get better. And that saying, this society shall rejoice right after the turning of the key, I think, hints at that. And then I love the knowledge and intelligence shall flow down. The windows of heaven and the wisdom of heaven will be present among you, the members of this society.
0: There is a fantastic topic about this too. I just remind our listeners, you can always go to saints.lds.org to see those. And uh, I I happen to have seen there's a video associated with this one. It has Sharon Eubanks, uh, who is the director of LDS Social Services.
1: LDS Charities.
0: LDS Charities, pardon me. And uh, if if you want to know what Relief Society has to do with her vision for how LDS Charities operate today, just check out that video because she's incredible, and the work that they do is is inspiring. Well, there's another piece of inspiration uh, as we finish this chapter that's coming, and that is something that we now know as the endowment. We've had the endowment of power in Kirtland in our previous episodes. We've talked about that, but this is something new that Joseph is introducing in Nauvoo in this chapter. Let's listen to a little quote here that will help our listeners understand the Saints, and specifically the men in Nauvoo, had been participating in a Masonic Lodge or Freemasonry. And often I've heard critics of the church talk about, well, Freemasonry and the temple are sort of related. Let's listen to this quote and then talk a little bit about uh, the temple endowment as introduced in Nauvoo.
1: As they left the store that day, the men were in awe of the truths they had learned from the endowment. Some aspects of the ordinance reminded Heber Kimball of Masonic ceremonies. In Freemasonry meetings, men acted out an allegorical story about the architect of Solomon's temple. Masons learned gestures and words they pledged to keep secret, all of which symbolized that they were building a solid foundation and adding light and knowledge to it by degrees. Yet the endowment was a priesthood ordinance meant for men and women, and it taught sacred truths not contained in Masonry, which Heber was eager for others to learn. We have received some precious things through the prophet on the priesthood that would cause your soul to rejoice, Heber wrote Parley and Mary Ann Pratt in England. I cannot give them to you on paper, for they are not to be written, so you must come and get them for yourself.
2: It sort of blows your mind to think about what this experience would have been like. And and some parts of it were familiar washings. We have in the scripture Jesus washing his disciples' feet shortly before he died they had a sense of the of endowment this endowment with godly power and the men most chapters of uh, masonry were only for men men were familiar a little bit with this notion that you perform a ceremony and that it's symbolic and that it it takes you through progressive steps so somewhat that would have been familiar to some of them But as the quotation says, this was also something so much richer and more complete. Um, At the same time, it wasn't as formulaic as it is for people who attend the temple today in the sense that they were still figuring it out as they went along. So I imagine a tremendous outpouring of spirit, people coming away from that moment feeling really fortified, feeling like they have a new understanding of God and their own Potential and a little bit of foreignness. Like, wow, this isn't, this is something new. Yeah, a little bit of
0: awe. Yeah. You know, kind of, and wonder of, of the things that uh, they're being taught. This chapter, it ends in two pretty climactic moments. Think, think about your experience in the church, and, and now just take away Relief Society and take away the temple. Like, does that feel weird to you, Sarah?
3: Yes, it really does.
0: (laughs) I I can't even imagine the church without those two things. And here we are, we're, we're nearing the end of saints. We know what's going to happen, but these are momentous things that are happening here in Nauvoo at this time with our ancestors, our brothers and sisters in church history.
2: Really. Also, both those things, Relief Society and the Temple, reinforce how important male-female cooperation and collaboration are. Elder Ballard has been talking about having councils with lots of different people on them since he first became an apostle in the 1990s. But really, the the need for male-female collaboration is there, uh, particularly from this time in Nauvoo.
0: And like you said, the Endowment and Relief Society as, and preparing people for the temple is all about men and women coming together, that they participate, unlike perhaps some of these other organizations that were primarily men only. This is different, and, and often it seems that the Lord's plan is a little bit different for us. Well, thank you so much, Kate Holbrook, for being here with us today. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. You can always learn more about saints at saints.lds.org, where you can see our latest videos, the chapters we've been discussing today, and you can refer to the topics, including the topics of the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo, as well as a new topic on masonry. Invite you to, to read there if you're interested, and look forward to joining us next time on The Saints Podcast. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. Join us again for our next episode where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days.